0: It is. Little did I realize that she was right. Little did I realize that my mother was right these many years ago. Here it is. It's another Valentine's Day. And I have not received a single, solitary, sad, sincere Valentine. Well, I guess it is true. That you sow what ye shall reap. I shall repeat that to you, for those of you who might have missed the import of what I said. As ye sow, so shall ye reap. I can remember old Elmer Tuttle, our neighborhood barber, Tony, who went into the evangelism business. Tony took a vacant lot in our town, it was about three blocks away. A vacant lot which, by the way, had as one of its major features down at the far end of it, back by the alley, an underground fire. I don't know whether you've lived in the immediate proximity of an underground fire, but let me tell you, the flames of hell are very close to an eight-year-old kid who feels at any minute now, if he steps wrong near second base, the earth is liable to swallow him up and he will turn out not only to be out at second base, but a tinder. The mere ash of his previous pulsating, live, vital passion itself. And so, old, old Ruggles. You want to hear the story of him, old Ruggles. One night, Ruggles used to hang around the pool room, the Bluebird Pool Room. Old Ruggles one night went down to to Tuttle's Evangelical Emporia, And in the middle of a particularly stirring passage, got up and threatened to fight Ernie right up there on the platform. Because you see what had happened. Ernie is up there saying, Ye shall reap, and ye shall reap as ye shall sow. As I stand here before ye, I look down and I see the faces of unmitigated sinners, and I can see the devil fighting within the very hell-bound souls of each and every one of you. Well, old Ruggles, who had a wooden leg and a rotten, crummy temper and bad teeth on top of it, Ruggles stood up, and it was a big night because it was Wednesday night, and it was, it was at a particularly important part of the ritual period in that northern Indiana community, got up and went up right up to the front there, over the sawdust and started a fist fight with Elmer the Barber up there, because Elmer the Barber represented to Ruggles the devil himself, because Ruggles had heard that clarion call, you shall reap as ye shall sow. I would repeat, yes, you plant the seed and that's what's going to come up. You plant radishes, Dad, and they ain't gonna come up. Nothing but radishes. ha radishes <laughs> Horseradishes to boot. Yes, as ye re- you so she reels. So she sells well. show. You can I you well. can oh, get not not together, and You can get All together, gang. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Tonight, we take this as our text. Pain. Listen carefully. Sometimes, always after the rain, you can often find heaven. You can't get loving when there ain't any love. That's right. That's our text for tonight. Hmm. <laughs> you can't get loving when there ain't any love. And there's all kinds of love in this world. It's everywhere. Now, of course, there's the dynamic love. There's the love that's spelled L-U-V. Yes, friends, it's the kind of pulsating, moving, dynamic love that each and every one of you feels for, let's say, your favorite TV channel. It's the kind of love that, that you feel for, well, let's say, uh, Sophia Loren. Or let's say, uh, uh, a top, hard-hitting, dynamic playwright. That's the kind of love, and it's the kind of love you feel for New York. Oh, it's love, man. A yard wide, a thousand miles deep. And these great old arms of Columbia, this, the gem of the ocean, reach out to envelop each and every one of you in its large, beneficent way. Oh, come to me, come, and I shall find thy true love. Yes, there is no no country on the face of the globe. You just keep that up there for a second, Tony. Don't put that away. That is more hung on love in all of its forms than America. In fact, I, I don't know of more than a half dozen novels that are turned out a year that do not pivot on love of one kind or another. Almost any kind of love you can mention. Even when they don't mention love, it's about love. Usually, it's a simple poet who finds that the unloving, hard, crummy, rotten, silly, macabre, idiotic, and absurd world is not capable of the kind of fantastic, unbelievable, all-encompassing, beautiful, pure love that he is capable of. That's called the hard-hitting, dynamic, absurd novel. And the best word, of course, is absurd. It's the key word. Uh, but nevertheless, that's another kind of love. That's the the world is rotten and doesn't love me kind of love novel. Uh, let's see, I can think of a dozen. Uh, well, uh, Salinger, he, he uh, specializes in that kind of love. And, uh, of course, there's a new kind of hero that, that is part of that love epic. And this is the hero that is designated by definition as fantastic. This is the Calico Man by J.P. Donovan. We we've got to accept him on faith that he is beautiful, incredible... Uh, almost, uh, almost uh, unbelievably uh, potent. Uh, and in addition to that, he is uh, irresistible. You know, irresistible. It starts right out Jeff strode like a young lion into the. So there we go. Right, we're off. Uh, Jeff, believe it or not, is that little thin guy sitting in the corner there with the black rim glasses and the bad skin. He's the guy that's writing it. And of course, he is Jeff. Remember that. That's another... And another thing about Jeff, you see, that in the new novel, Jeff, you see, never really loves any women. They all love him. But, of course, they fail to measure up to his unbelievably high standards. And so he strides off in the general direction of Dublin, there to look for what appears to be reality and true love. And so... We march on. Now, then, of course, there's another kind of love. And, and, and I think you better bring on that one, too, there. Now, there we go. ta 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 Ra-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Wa-ta-ta-ta. Yes. Yes, this is the love of oneself for oneself and for oneself alone. Wa-ta-ta-ta. ta da 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 this love is found particularly in the pages of the lady magazines and this love is the love of the lady for herself for herself's sake <laughs> yes dear McCall's we salute thee tonight in all thy pristine togetherness Good housekeeping the magazine that loves you all of you impartially. I hate to see that cigar butt stuck there in the pages of McCall's. Just doesn't fit. And those beer glass rings on the cover of Seventeen. Now, that's another kind of love, and it's a very dynamic sort of love. And uh, don't put that one away either, because no no no, I think we're gonna to have to keep it oh yes go on quick get, get, get just just sneak that one up there and I'll show you by definition another type of love uh, you can show these things without even talking about it because there's nobody nobody is more hung up on by it than, than we are and we might as well just come right out and admit it and uh, this this is another kind of love now now uh it's pretty early yet and there are women and children with us and there's Grand little old ladies out in Staten Island. But nevertheless, there isn't a single one of us who but therefore, the grace of God and maybe a good set of glands. Oh, yeah. Sure, baby. Now, cut it out, will you? I got all this stuff to do. I got to work and it through. Oh, come on now. That's the blue. Come on, can't you wait till after a while when that McCreary guy is out of there? Listen carefully, baby. got it? Yeah, I know. (laughs) All right, gang. That uh, gets Friday off to a good start there. And uh, of course, uh, this this is a problem. I mean, you, you've got to you've got to got to realize that uh, it takes many forms. Now, now if we'll return uh, to the Stars and Stripes, there, Tony, quickly. The Stars and Stripes. That's the one over here on this table. There's another kind of love. Uh, there is the kind of love that is so all-encompassing and so blind. You know, they say that love is blind, and all this. It really is, literally. Uh, it, 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 no, it, just, just seriously, have you ever seen some of the people that some of the movie movie fans are hung on? Well, obviously, love must be blind. Have you really ever seriously looked at some of those centerfold outs in Playboy? I mean, love has to be blind. I mean, it's either blind or it's got something else going there. But that's for later on. We'll discuss that now. Uh, <laughs> The, the blindest kind of love, though, is the is the self love of a of a person or an entire nation for itself that blinds itself even to the obvious faults or defects, and in fact it sometimes gets so dynamic that the love becomes so all encompassing that the very defects are loved for themselves, almost above the all set. Up. All right, gang. Now here we okay. We have here now, uh, example number one comes from Dallas, Texas. Dallas is a city not particularly noted for its, uh, sublime humility. And in Dallas, Texas here, I'm going to quote to you from a, from an editorial from the Dallas Morning News. And Dallas, of course, is talking about one of the chief problems that has faced most cities in the United States, and not certainly excluding Dallas. And uh, we'd like to read to you this little uh, quote from their editorial from the Dallas Morning News. Before we continue on this early morning program to get you up and around in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Here is our editorial for today. Folks, might interest you to know, all you guys that are driving along that Dallas highway on your way to Fort Worth, that Texas ranks second in the nation in traffic deaths. Well, maybe sometimes you might have looked at this the wrong way, but have you ever looked at it this way, fellow Texan? This is because, according to the Dallas Morning News, Texas drivers show the same human qualities that made America great. The willingness to risk driving energy and rugged individualism. So get out there and kill them, Dallas drivers. We want you to add to that total, and next year we're going to be first, by God. And now our spiritual moment from Atlanta, Georgia. The State Chamber of Commerce of Georgia says Georgia's spiritual atmosphere is conducive to good industrial relations. In 1964 industrial survey, the chamber reported that 78% of all good Georgians were church members. And we quote, an incident but important byproduct of such a spiritual atmosphere is its relationship to favorable industrial conditions. The survey went on. It is difficult to arouse animosity, and we certainly want to salute this from the bottom of our southern heart. It is difficult to arouse animosity between employers and employees who work closely together in their church and Sunday schools. And so that is a salute to all good Georgians where spiritual atmosphere is at its highest. All sing number 174 in the big book all together now. Come on, all together now, King. For God's sakes, you're slowing up there. Let's go. Keep it going. Let's sit there. We go. a cacophony which reminds me this is WOR at FM New York silly idiotic radio station by the way speaking of silly idiotic radio station did you see that ad for the limelight show did you see it did you see that ad in this morning's times for the limelight you didn't see that ad Oh, gee, that's too bad. It was it was right down the whole front uh, thing there on page something of the Times for the limelight. It was a great ad, yeah. And as a demonstration, I would like to have at least 10% of you out there tomorrow to show the WOR show that in spite of that ridiculous ad, you'll still come out. I'll tell you this. Uh, Ten minutes after that ad hit the paper, my lawyer was on the phone. Idiotic, ridiculous... Did you see that ad? (laughs) You didn't really? Crying out loud. $87 million for an ad and nobody saw it. All I have to do is make one boo-boo on this microphone and 8,000 guys will call up. I can win the Pulitzer Prize, the Peabody Award, and an Emmy here. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hit it again, Dad. Uh, And for those of you who... uh, (laughs) <laughs> no, it was a great ad. It was, uh, seriously speaking, friends, uh, as Burt Park so beautifully put it. Uh, if you are interested, though, tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, we are going to be on for two solid hours emanating live, pulsatingly, from the limelight down in the village. And if you, if you want to come and make that scene, you better get down there early. Uh, they have room for seven people in that place. It's a it's a roaring joint. And uh, it's on Sheridan Square. And we go on the air at 10. And we're there until midnight. And it will be live. And it will be every week, too, by the way. So if you'd like to, it, it's probably going to be the cheapest date in town. And, uh, and we'll be there. And, and what am I going to do? Well, that's what they're all asking around here. Well, I don't know what we're going to do, Tony. I have an idea. I know one thing. they they're setting up the tank down there for my underwater ballet, and uh, I'll be on with that. Uh, I've got my... Ta- no, I've, I've worked up a lot of choreography and things. It's going to be all right. Don't, just don't worry about it. i got a couple of things going on. I've got this little table that I'm going to set up. I haven't used it since the fall of 48. It's this little table with the green felt top, and i got three walnut shells. There's a lot of interesting things that we're going to do down there, and I just suggest you bring a couple of bucks, and we'll have a few games of chance, and... We'll talk over old times, and we'll uh, stir up a little action there. One thing I will say, though, ties are not allowed. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. The problems, But, but uh, you know, uh, speaking of uh, problems and, and uh, St. Valentine's Day, as long as, as long as we're on the subject, we might as well go all out and, and admit to a few things. And before we do that, let's get a couple of commercials off the log here. First of all, we have the Pottery of All Nations, and if you have not visited the Pottery of All Nations, I would highly suggest a visit. They have pottery from all over the world. And if you don't have a pot to, uh, well, they've got pottery of all kinds there. Uh, they're down on uh, Sheridan Square. And just go in and ask Larry, say, hey, Larry, I don't have a pot. And Larry will say, okay, and reach up on the upper shelf around the back. They keep those in the back by, over the ovenware there. And uh, you'll find a visit to the Pottery of All Nations is well worth it. They let you break things and they have uh, beautiful Chinese uh, Oriental imitation Mandarin vases, many things there that are particularly indigenous to the art attitudes of the Upper Bronx in the upper areas of Fordham Road there near uh, Pelham Parkway. And now they have one store on Sheridan Square and they're open Saturdays. Uh, one on 64th and Lexington which only opens when Things are looking good in that neighborhood. And then there's one over on Route 4 in Paramus. Okay? Pottery of all nations. It's the place to go if you don't have a pot to... Will you quit cutting me off, you idiot? If I'm going to get cut off, it's going to be my problem, not yours. You're just an engineer. You stay in there and run that thing, will you? One, two, three, four, off. We're crying out loud. What do you... That's the only good thing I've said tonight. Well, for those of you who are interested, we'll get around this clown. For those of you who are interested in it, send your name and address to Censor. W-O-R-A-M and F-M New York. Censor. And you must be over 21. We'll include. It's especially interesting for art students. 50 poses. And uh, good Lord. You know, speaking of, uh, uh, if we better get with the Philharmonic before we go any further. With are the Philharmonic here Sunday at 3 p.m. WR. I invite you to listen to the 20th broadcast of the season. This is a very, a very uh, obstinate group. They're still on the New York Philharmonic under the direction of Joseph Cripps. He's going to direct Weber's Yorian The Overture. And Brahms, there's a mixed bag for you. That's a clinker that hasn't gotten off the ground since Weber wrote it. Why do they schedule that? Brahms D minor piano concerto and Sir Walter. William Walton, Symphony No. 1, That's Sunday. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, uh I'll be here for a while. <laughs> yes, I know, Von Weber. Yuri <laughs> Anthony, what a clinker. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, did, you ever, did you ever play in a symphony orchestra yourself? Well, uh, I used to play the uh, string bass in a symphony orchestra, and one of the great high points of my life one time came when I was playing in the bandshell on grant parks uh, that's right on the lakefront in chicago under the late doctor frederick stock now this is the truth uh... what happened was they went around and they they uh... they had a kind of an elimination contest to find out you know high school players and they had a big high school then finally they finally they made a high school orchestra of uh, supposedly the top high school orchestral performers in the city well the reason i got in there was there were only nine bass players in the city and they have a twelve-man section so uh, it was it was pretty easy, but it was a great moment. I'll tell you, there was hundred and thirty five thousand people out there, and we started to wade our way through let me think what it was the overture to Martha. You ever hear that? Ta 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 and it was uh, pretty good there from for the beginning there. But about a third of the way through there was a rumble from over in the direction of Benton Harbor, Michigan. <laughs> Come on now. That's a crummy editorial board here. But uh, from, from, from a run, I'd say <laughs> roughly around Benton Harbor, and, and a storm comes up out of the lake, uh, Lake Michigan, which was like 30 feet off to our left. A storm comes up out of Lake Michigan, like, a, believe me, like, like China across the bay, and you're. <laughs> and, and we're going, ta 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 ta, sawn away. And, and you should have seen 135,000 people melt into the jungle. Well, we're, we're sewing away there, and poor old Dr. Stock is up there, and his arms are flailing. I don't know whether you've ever seen a top-flight conductor trying to conduct high school players. That is really terrible, you know? Uh, a, a really good conductor, he conducts a top orchestra, a really good symphony. It's like it's like a machine. It's like a, a, a sports car, you know? The control is just so slight, just so subtle, that, that the interplay between conductor and orchestra is is almost imperceptible even to the orchestral members you know they you'll notice when an orchestra's playing they hardly look up at him they feel it you know it's all there oh not was stock and that bunch of clunkers stock is up there banging his his baton he's trying to make us keep the th- Da, 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 da. He's, and all the while, he's got his left hand up in the air, you know, and on his right hand, he's got his right hand up in the air, making like he's still conducting a good orchestra, you know, with the fingers out. And all the while, he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> and, 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 of course, the people can only see his back, and Dr. Stock had a magnificent back. He really did. Uh, and, uh, you, have you noticed that very few little skinny, non-shouldered guys ever make it as a conductor? Believe me, uh, it's a, there's a lot of psychological involvement with the audience. Seriously, it's all showbiz. Very few conductors really, you know, it's a showbiz. And when and, uh, and you sit in the orchestra, and it's pretty hard to tell, actually, in the end, wh- whether it's the orchestra creating this beautiful symphony or the conductor. Uh, quite often, uh, an orchestra, if the conductor walks off, the music is 17% better instantly. Seriously. Uh, the orchestra just goes on and is fantastic when an orchestra is really good. If you've ever played in a good one, you know it. Well, poor old Dr. Stock is up there, you see, and his face was a mask. You know, he could see 45 years of hard work. The University of Munich, Stuttgart, and Heutingen going down the drain. His reputation going down the out the Chicago River with all the rest of the stuff. Floating out towards Joliet somewhere. And he's working away there. You could just see this mask. And I'm, of course, standing up in the back. Being a bass player, we all stood up. And, and, and I look around and, and here are six guys in the bass section there. All of us looking real scared at Dr. Stock who was looking up at us and his eyes were like twin marbles, and just looking up at us there. And his arms were going. And the French horns came in at least seventeen measures early. Oh God. And he goes trying to control it and all the while the storm has come. Got their and the storms are roaring out of Benton Harbor. And the crowd is melting and comes the rain. Well, stock, you should have seen stock. You have never seen more relief come across a guy's face in your life. Because he figured, you see, before the fiasco, which was the last movement of that overture. The last movement is where it really gets going, you know, and, and this orchestra just wasn't going to do it. We were sliding down the hill sideways, clawing at it, you know, all the way down, and stock is going, forward. and with that, the storm comes down, the lightning crashes, the thunder booms, and stock then, as it, the wind, have you ever sat in a wind tunnel? Well, this, this thing was a shell, you know, shell, wooden shell. Well, it caught the wind. I'll tell you, it was insane. All our music just went whoop like that. The timpani. Well, it just slowly petered out. The rain and the thunder and the people are going. You can see the Model A's and the fours and everybody roaring down. And the waves are crashing. And Stock is standing there in his in his coat all drenched all the way down to his ears. The event, gentlemen, I hope you are satisfied. Look what you have caused. He turns, boom, another lightning crash hits the Wrigley building. Boom, another one cracks at the Palm building. An old doctor talks, Ben, I hope you are satisfied. Every last one of your rotten musician snouts. I am leaving. Turns and goes, boom. And we sit there amid the ruffle. <laughs> All right, gang, that's enough of that. I don't know why I told you that story. It was dredged out of the infinite past. You know, speaking of being dredged out of the infinite, I have I have some terrible memories of of Valentine's Day, and one of the really great traumatic memories of my Valentine's Day career came. I must have been no older than about five. I know it was before school, maybe six, just pushing six. And it was this chick in the neighborhood whom I have mentioned from time to time, that was the first truly traumatic love of my life. And, and you know, it's so, cr- I hate to, yes, you might as well bring that in. Bring it in there. This is, oh, what are you talking about? Come on, cut it out now. That's not the one. You get, you get that, get, get Tchaikovsky up there. I want a little sentimentality in my life. I don't need that jazz. Well, you know, I'll tell you, this chick had a name, which I've mentioned from time to time. You know, sometimes a name is so corny, I even hate to admit it. It's, it it's, it's worse than something that the Saturday Evening Post would do. Oh, what a chick. She was about six. And I'll tell you, she was at the most nubile stage of six. She was a very early Lolita. And I was not an early Humbert Humbert at all. I was just a very early Skeezix, as a matter of fact. And her name, unbelievable. And this is the truth. Bring it up, please. That's it. Fade it down like they do behind Cornell Wilde. They never float him out to sea. There we go. Her name was Dawn Strickland. Dawn Strickland. Blow that one on your nose, Flute. Strickland and she looked exactly like her name. The sun coming up over the Sinclair oil refinery <laughs> was never beautifuler <laughs> Seriously, you know, she had, uh, she had, you know, it was there. That was it. You know, some people got it, some don't. And Dawn would walk into the first grade class later on, and I it just a, a hush would fall like that. And Mrs. Mino, the old bag. Mrs. Mino, you know, it's funny how a lady can be jealous of a six-year-old kid, but Mrs. Mino would, would be bugged the minute Dawn Strickland. Of course, we were both S's, you know. In, in in those very early days of love, the alphabet plays a great part. In kindergarten, you know, you're at the S sandbox, and <laughs> it's literally true, you know. Well, Dawn Strickland lived in the neighborhood, and one thing about Dawn Strickland, I'll never forget it, because she was the rich kid in the neighborhood. We lived. We lived in a neighborhood that was rich, as a matter of fact, and we lived down at the other end where they had the big apartment house, where if you were a phony, you could get a sublease. And uh, that's where we lived, you see. We were the non-rich people in this neighborhood. And across the street, down about a half a block, was Dawn Strickland's house. Have any of you ever read Booth Tarkington? Well, The Magnificent Ambersons, Booth Tarkington, Penrod and Sam. Remember, I am speaking of Indiana here, friends. And Booth Tarkington wrote about Indiana. It doesn't bear very much relationship to the Bronx. It bears very little relationship to Queens. Uh, I can't, there's nothing really around here that's quite like it. Really, I can't, I can't tell, you, uh, tell you any more than that. I can say one thing, maybe it's the surroundings. Maybe it's, it's the geographical world. They have huge cottonwood trees, which you don't see much around here. Gigantic cottonwoods and enormous elm trees, and honey locusts, as well as Indiana tulip trees. Now, now you get, you get this all of this together, and catalpa trees as far as you can walk. You know, that smell of those white blossoms, and those things, those cigars that fall down on the pods, and the, the white fluff. And this is, you know, it's Indiana. And it, it, it really is not like uh, Norman Rockwell's New England. It's Indiana. This is not the Indiana, incidentally, of the, of the, of the cornfields that's another Indiana and this isn't the Indiana either of the steel mills this is another Indiana this is Booth Tarkington Indiana and they have gigantic yards around all the houses and enormous garages with maybe three and four car garages back of them with trees everywhere gigantic trees tremendous trees and all of these houses have well here I don't know what they would call them here because you don't see them here but enormous screened-in porches the porches go halfway around the house, like a big U-shaped thing with the white uh, with the white poles and the screen all around and snowball bushes and the whole... You got, you've, you've got the picture now? Well, I don't know whether you do or not, you know, you guys from the east, I don't know. There's a, there's a funny smell in the air and everything out there. And when the moon gets in a certain area, and this is why, you know, the, you've heard of the Wabash moon, there is something in the Indiana air, and it's the flatness, and there is no sea there, you see, that makes this too. That the flatness of the ground, the way the sun hits the ground, the way it cools off, and the way the, the whole thing—the moon sometimes is half the size of the sky, absolutely, literally—and it's a dark, burnt orange color. It just covers the whole sky. See, people walk around. That's the moon, you know. And sometimes the moon is like that when the sun is still on the other side, going down. That's you know, it's a it's a whole whole big thing. Well, this is this is Indiana, and and in this Booth Tarkington house lived Don Strickland. And it was a dark brown house, a real girlfriend house, you know? You know the kind of house that you walk past in front of and you break out in a sweat? And you look through the snowball bushes and, oh, boy, I don't know. Chicks don't know that, do they? That is the truth. Chicks do not know that kind of excitement. I just know it. It's a mingled fear and excitement. Well, Dawn Strickland lived in this house in solitary splendor with her rich parents. And behind her house was a doll house. In fact, it was a playhouse. It was her own little house, and it looked like the big house. It was brown with, a, with dark brown window moldings and all that. Had little screens on it. The windows would go up and down, and it was a Dawn Strickland. It was a little house, you see. Well, you knew you were in. You were really in if you were invited to play in Dawn Strickland's house in the back. Mrs. Strickland, by the way, tendered the invitations. Dawn did not. So it was that kind of scene. And so once in a while, me, and there was a guy named Dicky, there was a guy named Dick Twyman, Uh, this was another world, I haven't described this world to you, on Beacon Street, Uh, Twyman, we only lived there about seven months, so it's a very brief moment, and and Twyman and Dickey, Cashmere, once in a great while, who was the little Polak who lived on the other street, and he was, you might say, the symbolic poor guy, that was allowed to come in because this was a rich family that believed in, you know, uh, democracy and helping the lower classes. And Now that I think of it, maybe I was. It's just come. Well, I, I realize now that Mrs. Strickland would say, you and Kashmir come too. Now I said, oh, for crying, that explains it. Well, we would arrive there and we would play and they would bring out, uh, you know, cookies. And, and that was the first time I ever realized that graham crackers were good. Up to that point, I'd get bugged when my mother would say, How about a graham cracker? Graham cracker? You know, graham cracker, and what I want is a, uh, like a, like a seven-pound Milky Way, a graham cracker. She'd like, Here, here's a graham cracker. You'll spoil your dinner. Have a graham cracker. Well, when I went to Dawn's house, and Mrs. Strickland, with a maid, would come out and say, Kids, how about some nice graham crackers and milk? Oh, I'd sit there, you know, and my jaw squared off, and I'd sit there, Oh, nothing I like better than graham crackers. And they would give me graham crackers and cold milk, and Dawn would sit there with her cord around her. I, I don't even remember any other chicks being involved. We would all be there with Dawn. Well, you got the scene. This chick really was on her way. Well, it came Valentine's Day one day. And Valentine's Day is a big deal for kids. Oh, yes, kids. Kids really take... This is a kid holiday. Valentine's Day and uh, I'd say Halloween is also a kid holiday. More, these are more kid holidays than Christmas. I think Christmas is an adult holiday, which the it accrues to the kids, but it's an adult holiday. Whereas Valentine's Day, most adults, ah, oh, come on, Valentine's Day. You know, it's it's, it's a kid thing, see? And just like Halloween, well, Valentine's Day, it was announced in the neighborhood, there's a word going on, did you get invited to Dawn's party? Well, did, I didn't know, you know, I didn't get, did you get invited. Everybody's going to Dawn's party, and about 15 minutes before the party was about to begin, Mysteriously, in our mailbox appeared an invitation from Dawn Strickland for the party. You know, in those little white envelopes, "Please come to my Valentine's parties Dawn." Well, of course, I'm like a shot, like a bunny. I'm in my <laughs> I'm in my corduroy pants, you know, and my hair is combed. My mother whips out a box of Whitmans, you know, these little tiny uh, miniature Whitman candies that they always advertised, which she always kept on hand for emergencies in case Aunt Teresa threw a fit that nobody gave her a, pr- a present or a gift. So. <laughs> so she gets out the box of Whitman's, these little Whitman samplers and I rip across the street with hearts all over the thing, you know, and I go in and here they all are in inside the house now, in, in the real house and they had made in the living room a whole big scene, it was all, you know, magnificent, they had they had white uh, streamers and red streamers and hearts hanging down and a whole bit, and they had a big round table there and they had ice cream cherry ice cream cut in the form of hearts hearts with little cherry things on it, you know, and coconut and little heart-shaped cookies and the whole bit. And there were a lot of kids there I didn't know. So immediately, you know, but there was one chick I knew, Dad, and even at that day and age that I was a man of maniacal single-mindedness. Now that I think back on it, maniacal. So there is Dawn Strickland on the other side of the room wearing a white dress with a red ribbon around her waist with the black patent leather shoes, you know, and the whole bit and the red hair ribbon thing. And right across the room I go, you see, there's Dawn. Hi, Dawn. (laughs) And she, of course, is throwing the party. Hello. And I says, I got a present. And I gave her a present. Well, it was a funny moment there hanging in the air, just like that. And, of course, at that age, I didn't know the giant boo-boos that you can do. I had been the only guy to give her a present. (laughs) I did not realize. So, here's a present. She said, what? Here's a present. Oh, well, she's got a present. So, immediately, you can see how the scene started. Well, we started to play games. Now, there are certain games which kids play at Valentine Party games, which uh, even now it makes me nervous. I'm not a game player, honestly. I... Uh, I'm 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 absolutely anti-gameplay. If if there's anything you want to do with the Bud Shepherd, invite him to a place and start jumping up and down on one foot and holler, let's play charades. Oh boy, I'll tell you, I'm serious. If this would this if there's anything that would drive me to drink, it's that. I, I don't drink, but I could drink. I mean seriously, anything pot, you name it. After that charade bit, well, it probably goes back to this. scene. All the kids knew the games. You know, there's nothing worse than to get, it's like, it was like a whole little crowd of Bennett Serfs and Arlene Francis's, you know? They're sitting there grinning like idiotic nuts and jumping up and down and taking these games seriously. And I was strictly a ball-playing, fist-fighting type. And here they are saying, all right, it's your turn to guess now, Dickie. What am I? And the ears wiggling and hopping up with the tail pinning. On the, and they all know, you know, oh, ha, 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 woo. And they, they, somehow it was a secret cult I was in. And, and I, I must have been there like five minutes, and I felt so far out of it that that even to this day I don't think I fully recovered. They knew all the answers. Then they started to do things like uh, guessing minerals. Uh, minerals, minerals. What is a You know, what is a mineral? All I knew was my old uncle used to take mineral oil all the time. He was always stopped up, is what Aunt Theresa used to say. Mineral oil. See, mineral. What a mineral! And they were say, they were hollering minerals. Bismuth. Some kid hollered bismuth. What is a bismuth? Bismuth. <laughs> Another joke. One that it starts with A. And I'm, a hey, hey, mineral or mineral oh hey, hey, and it would be my turn. I'd say, ah, uh, 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 okay, it's your turn, Dickie, boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there with my mouth hanging over, Anthony, uh, uh, what, 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 this is tin, 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 tin is a mineral. I what, what, tin, it's tin, what do you mean, tin? You make tin caves out of tin. Well, it went on like this, on and on, until finally, we all were marched in to eat. Well, that I could do, you know. I was pretty good with ice cream and stuff. <laughs> And so I start wading into the ice cream eating the stuff and finally that after this is all over we're all lined up now we're all and I, I'm still not defeated completely you see I feel that the, that the that the shank of the evening is about to begin and I will come into my own I'll knock out flies you know or or uh, or wrestle with dawn or something that I could do <laughs> so with that we all line up and and mrs Strickland says all right now kitties now we're going to have the Valentine hunt. We're now going to have the Valentine hunt, and all of you can go and look, and and, and you, there are clues all over the room, she said. There are clues all over the room to where the Valentine prizes are hidden. There are clues. Clues. And with that, these she says, all right, all right, when I clap my hands, everybody go. Look around. And she goes, bing, and these kids all start, oh, oh oh they start running around. They, they know, what, clues, clues, you know, what are clues? I'm looking around, there's ribbons, you know, and kids are diving under sofas and coming up with pack, packages and stuff. And I'm wandering back and forth, and, and I look, look, nothing, and all of a sudden, it's all over. Absolutely all stinking rotten over. And everybody's got a package except guess who. Oh. And the party's over. Mrs. Strickland says, "All right, kids, that's it." And then Dawn, bless her heart, I don't know. Now that I think back on it, now that I think, what, she says, "Gene doesn't have a prize." The entire company looked, and there, guess who was standing there with nothing but old chocolate on his hands and some melted ice cream? And Mrs. Strickland says, "Oh, he hasn't, has he? He hasn't, has he? Well." And she moves back, and she says something to Effie, the maid. And I see Effie sort of, dis- he hasn't, has he? Well, let's help Jeannie find a prize. Oh, what do you mean, help? She says, uh, well, let's all help him find a prize. And I'm standing in the middle of the floor. And she says, all right now, kids, let's all help him. Now, Jean, look for a clue. Now, what would you think would be a clue? And I see Effie scurrying behind the curtains, hiding something. And I says, Effie's back end sticking out. And she says, no, now you look for a clue. She says, now look for a clue. Look for a heart or look for a little arrow. Which way do the arrows point? You know, they had little Cupid dolls and all that stuff. So I says, oh, oh, arrows. Suddenly it dawns on me. These kids were running after the arrows. They had little arrows pointing, you know, with the Cupid's and stuff. Arrows, for God's sakes, why didn't you tell me? So I start looking around, and everybody, the entire company, is watching me. And I knew where she hid it. I saw her back of the sky back of the curtains there behind the sofa this big fat maid is hiding it so i play like i'm looking and finally i go over behind the curtain and i pick up this little box and there it is it's a box of whitman samplers all wrapped up so i come back out and i say well i got my prize (laughs) and you can see the glue is still wet on it you know effie has licked it and the stamps are falling off and all the kids are walking out across the street and there it is it's that beautiful indiana climate out there and the trees are hanging over and i can see the big white fence all around dawn's house and i'm trotting across the street and down up into the apartment my mother says how did you like the party She says good real good you want some candy ma what do you mean? I told you to give that to Dawn. I told you to give that to Dawn. I said what you gave <laughs> me.